we tend to, as humans, underestimate or undervalue or not identify what we're great at when everyone else sees it so clearly. So if you ask the five or seven people around you to describe what you're good at, they'll crush it. They'll nail it. And you'll be like, oh, shit. Yeah, I'm good at that. But we'll kind of dismay. We'll be like, oh, yeah, I'm totally good at that. But there must be something bigger. And they're like, no, that's fucking huge. Right? So what we tend to be great at, we're like, oh, yeah, but I can do that in my sleep. No, but it's because you're one of the best at it. You know, like you take like Rory McIlroy, my, my um, great uncle used to coach Rory up in Ross's Point in Sligo in Ireland. And, you, you know, Rory would be like, oh, yeah, but, but lots of people could be good at golf if they just worked out. It's like, no, dude, you're one of the best on the planet. Like, not everybody can be that good at it. I've tried. I suck at it perpetually. Hello and welcome to the Happy Pair Podcast. I'm Dave. I'm Steve. And I'm Sarah. Hi. Lovely to have you. Thanks, Mel. Um, so, guys, tell me, what did you do this weekend? It's Monday. You had this a nice, weekend. I, I didn't see you. I took down the Christmas tree. Hours. I took down the Christmas tree. I hoovered the house. You know when you go like, you get like kind of slightly possessed when you start hoovering sometimes? You, get like that or, you know when you get like, <laughs> you got to take your you. top off like, and you're just going at the cleaning. Like I got possessed and I was like, I cleaned the, the hoovering now, god. Yeah, like I had a great time anyway. I got rid of Is Christmas. Is this the tree that literally every single like, what are the petals? Needle fell off. Yeah, yeah needle yeah. fell off. Yeah, yeah, I cleaned all that up. Oh, that was gas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Saw yeah. Those pictures. But it was fun. Now I like I moved the couch in the in the in the sitting room and moved all the rugs and like you know when you do it properly like and you're kind of slightly chuffed with yourself. Ah, oh, we watched uh, King Richard's the movie with Will Smith and Venus and Serena Williams. And lo and behold, the following day, what do we do? We went and played tennis oh, <laughs> and nice. trained to be tennis stars. Great fun. Yeah, really, you're, really I, I had a nice chat with your Ned there um, the other day over lunch. Ned, Ned's, he's five, by the way. Nine, Ned's five, yeah. And um, he told me all about your weekend and that he kept asking me if I'd seen the film. And then then I uh, suddenly had this dawn, like it just dawned on me that um, Ned's five and we've been in a pandemic for two years. So Ned has spent half his life within a COVID world, which I just thought was wow. crazy. But 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 as I, as I was thinking there that like, that's pretty much like a five-year-old's world, you know, like yeah. the COVID world, like, you know, he just lives at home. He tinks around with his mom and dad. And that's kind of the world, like the home is, is his and world. And then we spend so much time over in the Happy Perry's over meeting people and chatting and playing and just so, you know. I know, but think yeah, of other five-year-olds yeah, yeah, either. Absolutely. It's, it's long time. I forget how much time has passed of a pandemic yeah, yeah. that's still going on. Yeah. But um, yeah, and also the fact that Ned's grown so much. I'm there sitting and actually able to have a full-on conversation with him, which... I definitely wasn't able to do two oh, years ago. Know, uh, there was great, great feedback. A couple of people stopped me in the street talking about the alcohol podcast that we did and people really, really enjoyed it. Yeah, so, no, that you know, one, I think that one really, that was like, a good very side guys, you yeah, know, January, the time, just January, I really, really enjoyed that. And, um, okay, so goals, like the early January, goals, ambitions, uh, New Year's resolutions. Manifestation. Anything you got going on? Do you, because like I remember for a little bit, a couple of years ago, I did a little morning manifesting thing, which I used to read every morning. I've kind of forgot to do it for a while. I want to rewrite it again. Maybe today will inspire me. Didn't you guys used to do like a gratitude every morning diary? I do that every evening. I do that with the kids every evening. We do that. We say five things that we're grateful for. That's, that's right. But you didn't you we do, do that, that in the morning. 
What's that? You used to write them down in a diary. Uh, I used to mean I used to write like a daily design. We used to call it where I'd write like my plan for the day, and and it was really good. Like not necessarily exactly what was going to happen, but more how I wanted to be today. And then I'd send it to Sam, and he'd send write one, and he'd send it back to me. So it was more like accountability, and you'd write yourself from the day before. We did that for a while. That's maybe nice. we'll start again soon. It was kind of fun to write. Yeah, but your goal setting, as we already discussed, was all about meditation. Last week, Sarah, we went into our goals. Now to turn the camera or turn the tides. Oh, well, uh, what's your goal? What's your goal for the year? <laughs> because yours is meditation. Yeah. <laughs> what's yours? What's your main? What's your main? Oh, focus? I don't know. Now I feel put on the spot. I think. Um, dun, dun, dun. I think to be more content in life. Oh, I think that should that, be everyone's goal. Yeah, mm. that's a nice one. More content. So, 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 how how would how would you be more content? Well, like well, to be honest, I kind of feel like I've become this person anyway. Where you know, it doesn't really. I don't get FOMO if other people are doing really fun things. I'm like, oh, that's lovely. Whereas I think I used to have that more. Maybe that's also no, something. you didn't. No, you didn't. <laughs> no, you didn't. <laughs> but I used to be jumping. I mean, you guys know yourselves. I jump from one event to the next. Social butterfly. Yes. And uh, now I feel like, yeah, I feel a lot more chilled. I don't really need to do that as much. Quite happy to just like pick and choose stuff I do. Maybe I'll get less friends this way. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Deeper friends. Deeper, more significant Uh, But I seem to only hang out with you two all the time. (laughs) (laughs) But I do think, but I do think contentedness is such an underrated thing. Like most of us are chasing happiness. We're chasing excitedness. We're chasing. Short term pleasure. You know, whereas I think contentedness, when I sometimes think of some of the best days I ever had, they were pleasant. Like they weren't the most exciting exit, but you know, when you're like deeply pleasant, that can be a wonderful experience. Like, cause there's, you know, you have that kind of slightly unshakable, you know, maybe not completely unshakable, but you know, where you feel at ease. And well, you're really not pleasant. expecting anything then. And then mm. you're just happy with whatever you're doing that day, like taking the joy and making a long meal or whatever. You're just pleasantly just enjoying present. it. Yeah. 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 Present. Yeah. Would you say on a scale of one to 10, how present are you most days? Depends on the day. <laughs> Depends on the activity. From zero to ten. <laughs> <laughs> I like to go with a full spectrum. Okay, okay, okay. Let's just, your days are pretty carbon copies of each other. So starting off in the morning when you're chopping veg. Morning's easier when you're more in control because there's less variables. But then by 8 a.m. or 9 a.m. when the world wakes up, you're kind of like sometimes you're just reacting to the day. So it depends on what's going on. And so would you say when you're, you know, in the middle of the cafe and getting food for yourselves and you've got Ned and the other kids like asking oh, for food yeah. too. Best struggling. <laughs> struggling I think is the best line. Do parenting, but, yeah, parenting. I think this week's conversation I'm genuinely really excited for. It's on the topic of visioning and manifesting goal and setting. goal setting which is so relevant to this time of year. And really managing yourself, leadership, all these type of wonderful topics. We're interviewing and having a chat now with Cameron Cameron Herald, super, super cool dude, Canadian man. I give the spiel? Yeah. So Cameron is the mastermind behind hundreds of companies' exponential growth and has earned his reputation as the business growth guru. He has built a dynamic consultancy with clients that include a monarchy, that's king and queen, and a big four wireless company. By age 35, he'd help build his two by $100 million companies. By age 42, Cameron had engineered 1-800-GOT-JUNK. Spectacular growth from 2 million to 106 million in just six years. Author of five books. Uh, but when I was thinking, like, aside from all that stuff, the thing which I find really interesting is that by 18, he had had seven different little companies. So mm. I'm very intrigued. So really, we want to talk about goals, vision, and really how to set yourself up this year. January, perfect time to get stuck into it. That's what this conversation is all about. So I hope you enjoy it. Before we start the podcast, we have some super exciting news. 
We've been working over the last two years on a new book. Uh, our new book is out and available to pre-order. It's called The Veg Box. And it's a wonderful concept. After we'd written our last book, it was like, I'm taking a break for a good while. I don't want to write books again for a while. And uh, Penguin came with a really cool idea. And so we've taken the 10 most uh, vegetables in Ireland and the UK. The 10 most vegetables. <laughs> the 10 most used vegetables uh, around the world, or in Ireland and the UK in particular. Uh, and we've taken, we've, we're cooking them 10 ways with 10 ingredients or less. Yeah, so it's really simple and it's really to try to minimize food waste because 30% of all food is wasted in the planet and most likely in your home too. So instead of going breakfast, lunch and dinner, we've gone by category of food. So for example, carrots or cabbages or potatoes and kind of gone, okay, well, typically you've got 30% of these you do not use. So it's like, okay, for carrots, instead of just making carrot soup, we've got carrot muffins and carrot granola and carrot cupcakes. And, you know, we've really pushed these vegetables to the limits, only using 10 ingredients. We really, really enjoyed it. It's available for pre-order now on Amazon. Uh, it's called The Veg Box. And if you do want to support us, please get it. It's brilliant. We're super excited. Yeah. So without further ado, we are going to pass to the podcast. Enjoy Vivid Vision, Goal Setting, Entrepreneurship with the wonderful Cameron Harold. Cameron, it's a real pleasure to have you here today. Genuinely, we're super excited. We've read your work, we've listened to you, and we admire you, and we've been looking forward to this. So, hey guys, I really, really appreciate being here. David and Stephen, thanks so much for having me. <laughs> lovely, lovely. Okay, so just to kick it off, January, it's January at the start now, and yeah. most people listening are curious about goal setting. They want, they want like, they want more. Most people are curious about getting more. And I know your route is getting more out of life. Is that what you mean? More, yeah, more out of life, or more in general, like. You know, maybe it's more. Uh, actually, it's an inherent greediness in us all that we all want more satisfaction, more contentment. Um, so I'd love if you could talk talk about goal setting, and it's very rude, and more from the kind of personal perspective, because that obviously applies to everyone. Well, and what's funny, I think, is that I don't know what. Let, let's make up the percentage, but I would say half of the people haven't even considered trying to get more out of life. They just go along. They're going through the motions, and they kind of end up at the end of the day doing what they do, doing what they've done, and then they die. And they don't actually have any real cognizant desire to change or grow or, or have a better life or better relationship or better business. So the idea of that vivid vision concept, um, and it's funny, we talked a little bit just before we went live, there is a little bit of manifestation that's in that, in that when you really start to think about what your life is going to look like in the future, when you start to clarify what it's going to look like, when you write it down and you commit it to yourself and then you start sharing it with friends, you start to manifest it because it starts to become part of your decision-making process. It starts to become part of your DNA. Your friends start holding you accountable to it. So I think there is something in that manifestation and it's, it's rooted in sport. So I learned the idea of the Vivid Vision concept 24 years ago from an Olympic coach was working with high performance athletes and he helped them visualize themselves performing the event and that they would literally close their eyes and roll through the event over and over and over hundreds of times whether they were skiing or doing a gymnastics routine or cycling whatever they were doing he got them to visualize themselves and feel themselves performing the event so that when they were performing they could almost do it as if it was complete instinct and in the business world most entrepreneurs have an idea of what they're building in their minds, but no one can see it. You know, in our general lives, in our day-to-day -day lives, some people want to have a better life. Some people are driving towards stuff. So the vivid vision concept in your personal life would be crafting a two or three page written description of every aspect of your life three years from now, as if it's already come true. 
as if you were describing yourself three years from now. So David, as an example, you would describe your fitness. You describe what you do for fun, what your relationships are with your family, relationships are with, with partners, um, what you're doing, you know, in terms of spirituality or self-growth or maybe what you, how you're eating and, and how you're treating yourself and how you're thinking, what your morning routines right might be. And it's not a list of goals. You're describing your day and your life and yourself three years from now as if it's already come true. As if you went into a time machine to December 31st, 2024, and you described everything about David Flynn. And you end up with that two or three page document, that vivid vision of your life three years from now that you can share with everyone around you. And when they're now clear on what your life is going to look like, they can start conspiring to make that happen. So as an example, one of the things I'm doing in my life is I want to live globally. I want to, to now that my kids are kind of out of the house and both away at university, I like this whole idea of the digital nomad that the 30-somethings are doing. I'm like, well, I'm in my mid-50s. Why can't I do it? So I'm now building a life of living globally, getting off the grid and being able to have, you know, a month in Barcelona, a month in Dublin, a month in Amsterdam, a month in Buenos Aires, a month in Santiago, and just moving around the world while I build my company. And then how can I connect with friends and family and spirituality and fitness while I'm doing all that? That's brilliant. I I love that. And was this part of, you know, the way, okay. So I'm totally on board with the idea of kind of writing down my vision for three years. Can I ask one thing just, uh, how would you differentiate manifest, manifesting versus visioning? Are they, because they seem very much almost like the same thing. And I'm just wondering, is there a distinction between the two? Because often when I think of the word manifesting, it's often in kind of more, kind of more hippie, ephemeral, more spiritual communities versus visioning. Typically it's in the boardroom. Well, it's the same. I mean, manifesting, the, the difference I guess would be in business, people would would visualize what their goals are going to be. They, they try to manifest or, or visualize what their business is going to look like, but then they put plans in place to make it come true. I think what a lot of individuals feel is if I keep thinking about it, it will happen. No, it won't. Like if you can, you know, vision without execution is hallucination, right? That was Thomas Edison that said that. So you can have all this amazing dream for what your life's going to look like, but if you don't start every day taking little bits of steps towards that, nothing will change. So I think, you know, whether you're a hippie or whether you're a new ager or whether you're, you know, a grandma or a kid or, you know, a 20 something or a business person, you have to start once the vision is clear, then you can start figuring out one or two things to make every sentence come true. And almost like building a home, if you were building a house, you start with the foundation, right? Everybody wants to put in the wolf stove and the sub-zero fridge and the beautiful cabinets, but you put in the foundation, then you put up the walls, then you put in the electrical and the plumbing, and then you put in the drywall. There's a, there's an order of operations to build the home. If you go in day one and put in the cool fridge, there's not even a floor to put it on. So in building your life, you have to start with the foundational things first, right? Fitness, your, your spirituality, um, who you ha- who you spend time with, you know, the, the, your, your, your food that you're putting into your body, there's the basic things that, you know, when you take care of yourself and you take care of your body, then you can do more and achieve more. So I think there's a bit of an order of operations as humans as well. Yeah. You talk about the five apps, your fun, your family, your finances, your 
Fate. Fate and your f- something else. I can't remember the other one anyway. But yeah. the five of them. Uh, but I, I was going to say that. Uh, okay, so so I, I really like the idea. Okay, and and I've done this. I've done this multiple times after reading your book. You know, write down your three. What you kind of envision yourself in your present tense in three years time, and and I write that all down and whatever. And when I'm thinking in terms of my personal life, the bit which can be difficult. Like it's very easy writing stuff. You know, having fun, pondering, and writing nice stuff down, sitting in the garden and doing it. And then the bit is like when you're meant to share it with your family and friends and go, hey, guys, look, this is what I'm going to be in three years. I've you're going to be, vivid vision you're gonna be so lucky. You're going to be so lucky to know me in three years. This is how cool I'm going to be. You know, it just feels I, that, that's the bit which I struggle with is how do you kind of because I think, as you mentioned, as part of the kind of bringing this to life, you want to get others on board so they can support yeah. you. You know, like if you want to lose weight, uh, you uh, want for, friends to not show up with donuts, as I've heard you say. Here's, here's the easiest way to do it. And I'll use the business analogy first and then it will make sense on the personal side second. In the business world, if you craft a vivid vision for your company and what your company is going to look like, act like, and feel like three years from now, you don't share it with the world day one. You share it with your leadership team first and you get the leadership team excited and bought in. Then you share it with the management team and you get them excited and bought in. Then you share it with all the frontline employees and you get them excited and bought in. Then you share it with your suppliers and your accountants and your lawyers. So they're all bought in. And then you send it with your customers and you get them bought in. Then you send it to potential customers and potential employees, right? So you kind of, you, you push it out through the, the groups that are closest to you and most um, tied to what you're working on and believe in you. Because they will think you're a little bit crazy. Even your leadership team will think you're crazy, but not as crazy as the outside world will. So if everybody, <laughs> right, if the people closest to you believe first, then the rest of the people will start to believe second. On the personal side, most people have got three or four people close to them that we could say, hey, I'm a little nervous about sharing something, but you're the person that I think is closest to me. I'd like to share what I want my life to look like in three years. Can you read it and tell me what you think? Tell me where you think I'm, tell, tell me what you're excited for me with. Brilliant. The key, the key is to not ask people what they think. It's to ask them what they're excited about for you. Because there will always have things that they don't necessarily see as clearly. And I'll give you a really good example of that. So when this phone, right, this is an iPhone, when this was created 14 years ago, what did everyone on the planet tell Steve Jobs was missing on the iPhone? Keyboard. You'll never sell (laughs) one. There's no keyboard. No one will buy a phone for $500 if there's no keyboard. He didn't give a shit. He, he had a vision of what he was creating. And as soon as we heard the first person typing with the clicks, we're like, let me try that. And then we were, we were hooked. So he got his leadership team excited and his employees excited. He got his zealots, like the, the crazy, maniacal tribe of Apple people excited. And then the rest of us wanted in, right? So it's very similar with your vivid vision as a personal life as well. Don't worry about sharing it with the outside world yet. Share it with the people closest to you first. So it's like, like often we'd say with health, like social accountability is such an important factor. It's almost like using your friends and your loved ones to hold you accountable to what you said you'd do. And in essence, I, I, that's what I'm understanding with the sense of telling others. It's like that you're going to yeah. be held more accountable and you feel more, I said I'd do it. I, I better do it. Otherwise I'm going to be, you know, disintegral. So that, that really ties into my belief around goal setting. And so when I set goals, and we've all heard of the acronym SMART for a SMART goal. I I use a different acronym from most people. For me, the S, the letter S in SMART stands for sharing your goal. So for a goal to actually happen and come true, you need to commit it to at least one other person. 
If you guys commit your goals to each other, it's better than keeping it in your head. If you commit it to your team, the more you start to feel more tension to make it happen, the more people you share your goals with. So that's the S. I like the that. M, the M for me is measurable. Every goal has to have a dollar sign, a number sign, or a percentage sign in the goal. Otherwise, it's hazy, right? You would, you would never say to a high jumper, how high do you want to jump? Oh, I want to jump high. Like they have a, they have a specific, right? Or how fast do you want to run? I want to run really fast. Like they all have a goal and then they break the goal down. If you watch the guy beat the two minute two or two hour marathon on the track, he did it about a year and a half ago. He had literally had the split times being read out on a truck driving in front of them. Like everything was broken down to the minutia, but it was measurable. And then the A has to be attainable. There has to be some reasonable expectation that you can make it come true right? You can't set a, a vivid vision for yourself right now and say that you're going to win an Olympic gold in three years if you're a fat ass sitting on the couch, right? <laughs> there has to be some reasonable expect. Now, you could say that you're going to run, you know, a 5k, you know, or, or that you're going to lose weight, like, but you have to have a, some measurable attainable stretch. So, 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 so with, can I, can I interrupt you there? So yeah, where yeah, do you find, sure. so where do you find the balance? Because I know you do need to, within that, like, you know, smart acronym, like with attainable, you also want to stretch yourself. So it is like, you know, as, as I read, which you write down when you're writing your vivid vision for a company and you're showing it to your friends, you want their jaw to kind of drop a little bit. So you want them to go, Oh my God, this is what your vision for your life or whatever, you know? So how do you find the balance between if you are overweight and you want to become an Olympic sprinter and win an Olympic gold, that does send a slightly unobtainable, but it has to be some kind of balance somewhere on the spectrum there, doesn't it? For me, it's always been, and this might sound a little bit weird. Your gut just knows. You just know that you can do it or you know it's too much, right? You just can feel it because you can see it because it's so clear that it's like, yeah, I can fucking do this. Like, I know it's going to be a stretch. I know I'm going to have to work hard, but your gut just knows. We have that human computer built into us to know that we can make it come true. Maybe we have to get coaches. Maybe we have to make some more money to help us with it. Maybe we have to get out of bed early. But, but at our gut level, we're like, yeah, I can pull this off. Right? That's a nice one. Yeah. So sense intuition. Okay. Connect so S- with your intuition. M- We've got A. What about R and T? So the R. This. Yeah. So the R in SMART stands for relevant. That that specific goal has to be tied to making something bigger come true. Otherwise, why are we doing it? Right. What's the point of that goal in the first place? Is it making some sentence in the vivid vision happen? Is it driving towards your BHAG? Is it living your core purpose? Right. What's the purpose of doing this thing? You know, what's the metric or something that it's going to drive? And, and then people get more bought in, right? They understand why they're doing it. And you understand why you're doing it. You don't push it off because you understand the relevance of it. And then the T is time based. And where I mean here is, don't tell me when you're going to get a project completed. Break the project down into steps. Think about how many hours or days each step is going to take. And tell me when you're going to do each of the steps of the project so we know that you've thought through when it will actually be completed by. Good one. Okay, so you're not... So really, like, I guess that's the bit that I miss. With Vivid Vision, you're writing your vision and it's big and hairy and audacious. And you're not just sitting on the couch going, I can't wait for this to happen. Like... You very no, much have to be structured. Like, cause I, you know, your mindset is, as you said, like measurable, measurable, measurable. 
and you break down the project into tiny little bite-sized chunks and schedule them in your diary. Otherwise, like, and sorry, that brings me back. In case anyone's listening, BHAG is big, hairy, audacious goal. And then the yeah. other one was like, so I write my vision and then the goals are the little individual steps that I take to make up this vision because the vi- vision is probably going to have multiple factors in it. So I right. write this vision and then I break it down into individual goals for my five Fs, for example. Like, okay, I want to become super fit and I, whatever, I have goals around that. And then what you do is you figure out which goals or which projects to do first, which are the foundational, right? Which are the walls, which are the electrical and the plumbing, right? Which ones become kind of accretive. I always like putting the projects in place that are almost like launching a satellite that once I launch it, it stays in orbit with no energy whatsoever, right? What are the things that if I do them now will have a long lasting impact on the business? So an example right now, I launched a course last year called Invest in Your Leaders, which everybody here should check out. It's investinyourleaders.com. And one of the things we're working on is getting the hundreds of people that have already signed up for the course to leave us a review on Trustpilot because the more reviews that we have, the more confidence everybody else has in buying into the course. So I know if I push really hard this year on getting reviews, those reviews are going to help me next month, next year, three years from now. But if I wait two years to push on reviews, I've missed that satellite actually giving me some additional leverage. So that's how I try to think about the projects in the Vivid Vision as well, is which ones will actually give me leverage. And is that more back to, as you said, intuition that like, you know, the way foundational, what's foundation for you and what's foundational for me might be different because so everyone's got to trust their own gut or their own intuition and go, okay, well, I know I can win. I can get a couple of easy wins if I focus on such and such and I'll give you, and I'll give you a couple examples so I was the I was the chief operating officer for a company called the 1-800-GOT-JUNK you know everyone in North America Canada the United States and Australia would know the name 1-800-GOT-JUNK um, we became the number two company in all of Canada to work for I took them from 14 people to 3,000 employees in six years just a very well-run big brand but when I first got there in the first week I turned to Brian, the CEO, and I said, we have to do three things, three foundational things. We have to raise our prices 40%. He's like, we're crazy. No one will use us. I said, well, if nobody uses us, it doesn't matter because we're not making money now. Our franchisees aren't making money now. The guys in the trucks aren't making now. So we're going to raise prices and we got to be the FedEx of junk removal or the Starbucks of junk removal. We have to charge a premium price so that then we can deliver. Second thing is we have to turn the business into a little bit more than a business and a little bit less than a religion. We have to get into this zone of a cult because the more culture we have, the more we'll attract great employees who will drive the brand. The more we'll attract great franchisees who will drive the brand. Like we need to become that cultural magnet in every sense of the word. And then third, we need to leverage free PR. We need to get more press about our company because we have no money for marketing and everyone will believe what they read in the media and we can't afford to do marketing anyway. So by focusing on these, those three foundational things, that gave us leverage. And then later we did marketing and later we did branding and later, we, you know, but it was those three foundational things that created the flywheel. Jeez, they're nice. I like them. That's really good. And in terms of like, so it sounds like in your nature, like you've got a very structured, like, you know, the way if you, you position yourself as the second command in a business. And when we were talking to you earlier, you were saying that the, like a CEO is the person who typically has the vision. They've the big kind of hairy, audacious goal that they want to do. So they're very good on where you want to go to. Whereas you're, as a second in command, you're very much the nuts and bolts and the systems and the structures, almost like the business engineer that puts yeah. the steps in place for it. And is that more your skill set than the, the kind of 
basic nuts and bolts? It's both. I, I'm a strange hybrid. I'm very entrepreneurial. My entire life, I've been running companies. When I was a, a young child, and I did a talk that's on the main TED website. If you go to TED, I watched it earlier. It was brilliant. Yeah. So, yeah, so I, you know, I had 15 different operational businesses by the time I was a teenager. I had 12 employees when I was 21 years old. So I've always been an entrepreneur. But when and I was, what, what, what were those? What were those early hustles like? Because I remember we used to sell Christmas trees as like 15 year olds, and you had a fake ID business when we were in school. Like you know, we had a couple of little hustles, yeah. but uh, you know, they were more little enough to make enough to buy chocolate bars, like. I, I bought sunglasses wholesale and sold them retail and had gas stations selling them for me. I went diving in the golf course ponds every week and pulled up hundreds of golf balls and packaged them into three different price levels. I sat at the bottom of the 13th hole and I hauled golf bags up this one hill and I got paid way more than kids were making to haul golf bags for 18 holes. I had a ski sharpening business. I um, collected coat hangers from people and brought them back to dry cleaners when I was seven years old and I was paid a recycling fee. I collected scrap metal from, from auto body shops and brought it into recyclers. Um, okay, so you really did good, have a good okay, that, that's go. good. That's, okay, we got enough there. That's, we get the idea. Dozens. Serious yeah, hustler. Dozens, wow. The business ideas. Okay, so, so you had the entrepreneurial right. spirit. Yeah. But I was trained, and this one company, when I was in my 20s, I was trained on how to be more of a COO because they were a franchise model, and they really taught us all of the systems to be successful. And I was so nervous about screwing up because I was 20 years old and I had 12 employees all of a sudden that I just followed every single system to the T. And they created these very simple systems that I then understood if I could create the simple systems to scale every business then business was easy. So that was just how I learned it. So I think I've always thought in the ways of simplicity and systems, even though I'm very entrepreneurial. Wow. And do you think there is a formula like for, like, as you're saying, there's a business system. Do you think like having been in business for 30 years plus, do you think there is a, like a formula, a basic principle, which you can apply to just about every business? Yeah, I think, and I think we see it from some of the great businesses, right? You know, if you think about Apple as an example, are they the you know are they cheaply priced phones? No, they're expensive. Have they created a cult? Absolutely, right? Have they leveraged press? They're amazing at generating press and PR, right? Um, you know their, their their products just work perfectly. And by the way, who makes the iPhone? Not Apple. Apple outsources everything except genius. They're amazing at marketing. They're amazing at design. They're amazing at selling it. They suck at manufacturing, so they outsource the manufacturing. They're the largest company on the planet, and they don't even make their own phone. Most entrepreneurs who are trying to do everything are missing the opportunity to outsource everything except genius. Good expression. I've never heard that. Outsource anything except genius. So that would apply with outsource anything that you're not good at. Right. It's that the isn't your skill set. Up. like. It's kind of the hedgehog concept from good to great that Jim Collins talked about 20 years ago, that if you find the stuff that you're really best in the world at, right, marketing and design, then outsource everything else so that you don't get distracted by it and find somebody who's amazing at manufacturing and they can't actually do the sales or design. So it's like really focus on your core competence, like focus on what you're really good at. And what gives you energy. Because if you focus on what you're really good at, but you don't love it, it doesn't propel you. But if you can find your unique ability, which is what you're really good at and what drives you and fuels you and gives you energy, 
Like I would do this for free, except my kids have to eat. Right. I, I love coaching. Why well, I'm doing this for free. So yeah, there's an example. Like I love doing media interviews because I'm really good at them. It propels me. My team can share it. It doesn't cost me anything. I help a whole bunch of other people. It's kind of like a, it checks every box as a hell. Yeah. 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 So, so for anyone listening, then how do they like, you know, the way, like that sounds brilliant. Okay. The, the hedgehog principle, just do what you're really good at. Like, and like most people listen and go, okay, great. Brilliant. Okay. Okay. Now camera, what do I, how do I find out what I'm really good at? Like, how do I figure these things out? Because even myself, like I'm kind of going, well, what are the things that I'm particularly good at? Like it's, you know what it is. We tend to, as humans, underestimate or undervalue or not identify what we're great at when everyone else sees it so clearly. So if you ask the five or seven people around you to describe what you're good at, they'll crush it. They'll nail it. And you'll be like, oh, shit. Yeah, I'm good at that. But we'll kind of dismay. We'll be like, oh, yeah, I'm totally good at that. But there must be something bigger. And they're like, no, that's fucking huge. Right? So what we tend to be great at we're like, oh, yeah, but I can do that in my sleep. No, but it's because you're one of the best at it. You know, like you take like Rory McIlroy, my, my um, great uncle used to coach Rory up in Ross's Point in Sligo in Ireland. And, you you know, Rory would be like, oh, yeah, but, but lots of people could be good at golf if they just worked out. It's like, no, dude, you're one of the best on the planet. Like, not everybody can be that good at it. I've tried. I suck at it perpetually. Love right. it. That's really nice. That's really nice. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah I like that. Myself. I like that. Uh, okay, one thing, one thing I wanted to talk about was, so mornings, mornings. January is a time of starting new habits and people are often heraldized that idea of a morning ritual or having, you know, a miracle morning as you call it. Like I know you're into this principle and I'd love to hear your thoughts on morning routines, morning habits and what you kind of do and what's your kind of formula for that. Well, and it's interesting. I, I even said in the book, The Miracle Morning for Entrepreneurs, I co-authored The Miracle Morning for Entrepreneurs with Hal Elrod. I said that there's there's times when my morning routines suck and, and when I'm not that good at them and when I fall out of habit. And I was talking to my fiance about this a couple of days ago, that one of the commitments I have this year that I want to get better at is getting back into my morning routines again. And it's partially fallen away because we've been living this life of travel and it's broken some of the habits of having things around that you get used to, right? So when, when I'm traveling, I can't have my lemon juice with me. I got to go buy lemons. Or every time I go to the new Airbnb, I got to go buy another bottle of lemon extract, right? Or, or the shower that I have doesn't really hit the temperature that I like. Or my yoga studio. I don't even know where a yoga studio is nearby. And I, my mobility pass has been canceled in Chile. And I'm waiting for new mobility pass because of COVID. So, so it's hard at times and you can fall out of routine. But what I like to do is at least say, okay, I'll try and do a few things and then I'll give myself a break and I'll try better tomorrow. So for everybody who's listening, I think it's about progress. You know, as Dan Sullivan from Strategic Coach always said, it's about progress, not perfection. How can you get just a little bit better every day versus if you list out what your perfect morning routine is and you don't do it all, it doesn't mean stop. It means try tomorrow. Maybe you got two things done. Maybe you got three things done. Mm. Just like baby steps. And what are you, okay, so well, what are the, the what best, are the main? Yeah, here's, here's the core of the morning routine is first off, it's called the morning savers. And that's an acronym. The first S is for silence. That you start the morning off with your eyes closed, just listening to the sounds around you. The sounds of the city, the sounds of the birds, the sound of silence, the sound of a fan in your room, whatever it is, you just kind of ease into the day noticing. And then nice. the A is, is your affirmation. 
And it's like that one sentence affirmation. There was a few years ago, I did my daily affirmations every single day. I was going through a big crisis time in my life and my, my affirmations really, really helped me. And what, v, what type it, of affirmations? Like just that kind of, I am strong. I am, I can yeah, get one, through my, this. My, I'm, a couple of years ago, mine was, I'm, I'm very confident in gaining confidence each day because I was not, and I'd been shaken, really badly shaken. And then, but by saying that over and over again, I'm very confident in gaining confidence each day. All of a sudden I was like, yeah, I got this. So then you can change your, you know, your affirmation over. So it's that, it's that statement that you would say to yourself, the V is your visualization. And it's either visualizing a meeting you're going into or visualizing how a workout is going to be, or maybe it's listening to your vivid vision or reading a paragraph of your vivid vision. Maybe you record it and you re-listen to it in the mornings, but that's your visualization component. Visualizing something or some aspect of the day or your week or your life. The E is your exercise. And it's just some morning exercise to kickstart the body. I really do prefer to do my exercise late in the day. I like it as a disconnect from my day before I go into my evening. But even if you just do some push-ups or some burpees or a seven minute or some jumping jacks, something to just get the blood flowing first thing in the morning, but don't say that you only do exercise at the end of the day, do something, even if it's 30 seconds to kickstart. The R is reading and it's actually picking up a damn book, putting your glasses on and reading a physical paper book, not listening to it, not devouring it on your iPhone, or your Kindle, but actually reading a book for pleasure or for personal growth. And I actually think that people need to read more for pleasure and less of the business books because the business books tend to add a lot of stress to your life because you're learning a bunch of stuff that you're not doing and you feel bad about it, or it's adding a whole bunch to your to-do list that you didn't have on there yesterday. So I like mixing it up a little bit. I tell and then you the too. S, yeah, the S is scribing, which just means journaling, right? So right now I've got a journal here. I spent probably 30 minutes yesterday just journaling. And it's, I'm just writing about all of our adventures traveling around the world right now. And just, um, you know, every, every kind of place that we go to and just describing and writing it all down. And there's something really therapeutic about either journaling about your day or your feelings or what you've just done or where you're going. Um, so that's the morning savers. What I savers. would add to that, So what's that S-A-V-O-U-R-S e or S? S-A-V-E-R-S. S-A-V-E-R-S. Okay, and nice then what one. I add to that is, you know, my morning probiotics and, and vitamin supplements, um, the, the lemon juice uh, in water, um, a cold finishing off with a cold shower, um, and then gratitude journal, right? That, any, that's any- that's going to take you most of the day. Like if, if you get through <laughs> no, that, like you've, it's going to take you up to lunch. But even if it took you an hour to do your full morning savers and to do a few other things and to really slow down before you like. What's the rush of opening your email? What's the rush of getting sucked into everybody else's life, right? If you actually plan your work and work your plan, I have a client that I used to coach years ago um, and she would on Sunday make a list of all the stuff she wanted to get done for the week. And then she would write down how many hours each of the tasks were going to take. She would add up the total project hours and she would delegate 80% of the hours before she allowed herself to even read an email. So she was literally delegating 80% of her plan before she worked on anything. That's really smart. Most people just wake up in the morning and start busy by being busy and they work really hard and they finish the day and they're like feeling overwhelmed. Well, it's because, yeah, maybe the most productive part of your day is, is slowing down and having a good morning routine. 
I agree with that. Huge advocate for the morning. I like just that, that sense of morning, taking time for, your sen- for yourself. I think that's so important. Um, one thing I'd love to talk briefly about is that sense of when you talk about crafting your vivid vision, the, the sense of getting outside of being at home in your desk in your kind of regular environment, get outside in nature, connect, slow down to find that sense of creativity when you are crafting your vivid vision or your sense of, you know, what your goals are. And when you do that, you often say to write three to four pages as opposed to just write down five goals. You want to be very specific and to write them almost as though you have achieved them. It's, that's, it's less, that, remember, that's more your vivid vision that's three or four pages, right? Yeah. So you could look at that as a series of goals, but I'll, as an example, I'll read you part of my personal vivid vision. You know, under the section of vacations, travel is now a core focus of my life, living globally, exploring places for two weeks to three months, owning places in a few different cities, running slummit summits, my boys visiting and friends visiting us, Ashley doing her own thing. Like I'm starting to kind of craft out components of it. Some of those aren't necessarily goals. They're just me starting to articulate what it feels like. And and so I understand it is so your vivid vision is like, you know, it's it's more you're writing in a narrative, like it's it's a word doc rather than a spreadsheet. And then in the back yes. of your vivid vision, you probably do work in drawing out individual goals for it and make yes. coming up with the milestone events that put them into practical reality. So the visioning is right. just the overarching kind of feeling of what it feels like, where you're going. As you say, unless you know where you're going, any road will take you there. So once you've got that, then it's your job to come up with where the where the typical towns you're going to go to along the way until you reach that destination you're trying to. Correct. And the more that you read it, the more that you reread it, the more that you've listened to it, if you've recorded it, the more that you start feeling it and it starts making decisions for you, right? You start choosing your meals differently when you're in restaurants. You start choosing your activity. Like, As an example, I used to have friends call me up and say, hey, do you want to go for a drink? And I would say yes. And now what I'll say is, well, how about we go play tennis? Or why don't we go for a hike? Or why don't we go biking? Why why was it always going for a drink or going to eat? So my vivid vision now starts to... and, And just because I'm gone globally doesn't mean I don't see my friends. Now I just have to get them to come visit. So I'll be like, hey, I'm going to be over in, you know... Czechoslovakia this summer or Sweden this summer who wants to come visit it sounds very idyllic I like it I like it and what uh, okay so now so as as we can one one question I have is a sense of okay one thing that comes up with me um, Cameron is the sense of how do you find the balance between having a vivid vision that you want to execute or want to manifest or want to bring into reality and also balance that with the sense of spontaneity, the sense of plans change the sense of you know as John Lennon said you know sometimes the best parts of life happened outside of a plan how do you find that balance so it's it's directional, right? You at least know that you're going in that direction. And if something happens outside of it, you can say yes to it, or maybe it doesn't necessarily fit. So maybe your vivid vision continues to pull you. But wouldn't you want to be driving towards some goals versus being completely scattered? Mm. Right? Wouldn't you want to be driving from New York to Los Angeles instead of just driving around in circles? Mm. Right? Yeah, I like that. At least, at least when you go halfway there and you go, actually, Seattle, cool but at least you're going in some direction. Yeah, that's a nice one. Uh, I, I was going to ask you more like, okay, so you've had 30 years in business, you know, you've had lots of experience with your, you know, all the various aspects of formal business. Like what takes your interest now? Are you still interested in business or what aspects are you more curious about now? I think I'm more actually interested now in in crafting a life of balance and pleasure and 
helping others and staying connected with my kids that are 18 and 20 and just really, you know, enjoying this time that we've got on the planet. Right. Um, I'm fortunate that I've already done some things that I feel good about having achieved. I don't need any more stuff. You know, I've owned the big estate home and I've owned the fancy cars and I've had homes in multiple cities and I've members of multiple golf clubs and none of that shit matters anymore to me. Mm. You know, what, what matters now is, you know, where can I go explore in Santiago, Chile tonight that I haven't seen yet? You know, what can I, what's Antarctica going to be like in a few weeks when we're down in Antarctica and what can I see? And, you know, what, what, what are we going to be doing in Europe this summer when we're over there? It's more exploring, I think. And do you find that true, like, you know, it's almost like a new chapter of your life. Do you find you're discovering parts of yourself that you'd kind of, you know, the way, because when you go into business mode, I imagine it's doing, 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 and it's very much in that kind of mindset. And now it sounds like you've taken your foot off the gas in terms of a work aspect and you're more curious of exploring oh, your surroundings. More, and I think I'm more focused. I think I'm working in a more focused way because I'm still like our business just had a record month. We had our biggest month ever in December. I just hired a new team member who's starting. She's coming onto our team call in 17 minutes. So I've got like, the business is still growing. The company's still growing. My team is still growing. My passion for what I'm building is still there, but I'm finding ways to do it in less time. I'm saying no to the projects that aren't necessarily driving me in the right direction. So, it, so I think I'm learning that I can do both. I think I'm learning that we can have it all. I like that. That's Jeez, a nice good on you. And your main business at the moment is your COO Alliance. That's the main kind of. Yeah, it's it's twofold. So the COO Alliance and the Invest in Your Leaders course, it's really focusing on those two things. What I've pulled back on over the years, I'm doing much less speaking events than I ever did. Right? I've been paid to speak over 700 times in 26 countries. I'm saying no to almost every speaking event, unless it's over Zoom. Um. And then I'm saying no to a lot more of my coaching clients. I just raised my coaching fees up to a level now. Instead of having 13, 14 coaching clients, I'd like to have four or five because that takes up my time, right? So while I'm on the road, coaching takes up too much of my time that if I can actually get rid of coaching, I could probably be down to three days a week for four hours a day and the business would still scale. And how does, how could I make, how could we make this apply to, because it sounds like what you've just done over the last while is you've really focused on what really matters and you've kind of cut out, you know, you've focused on priorities. How is this relevant to anyone listening? Because it sounds like there's loads of nuggets right in there, exactly what you've just done. Well, I'm, so I'm focused on my, my core purpose, which is helping entrepreneurs make their dreams happen. So everything I do helps entrepreneurs, right? Growing the COO Alliance, the more COOs that I grow, the more entrepreneurs it helps. Right? This podcast, like everything I do is driving towards that. My BHAG, my big, hairy, audacious goal is to replace vision statements with vivid visions worldwide. So it's staying aligned with my BHAG. It's making sure that people see the vivid vision for what I'm, what I'm building and driving towards that. And it's making sure that my vivid vision for my personal life is really clear as well so that I don't let it, I don't get out of balance. Wow. And do you recommend most people have a vivid vision, like for their yeah, personal but, life? Well, as the Cheshire Cat said, if you don't know where you're going, any road will take you there. Mm. Do you find your sons are do that? Like they do put it into practice or how does well, it, you know, because like, sometimes you hear of like carpenters, they go out and they make incredible cabinets and then you come back to their house and there's never really any nice cabinets because they don't have the time for yeah. it. One of my kids definitely does. The other one I think is starting to find his passion. So I'm hopeful that, that he'll 
nudge a little bit more towards that this year. But I also kind of give them, I guess, leeway or credit. They're kids. They're still 18 and 20. Okay. Yeah. Now we got a long, we got a long time to figure it out. I think it's, I think there's a, I think it's, I was one of the few who at a young age knew I wanted to be an entrepreneur. I think now people think they do, but they don't know what an entrepreneur is. Mm. Yeah. And I, I loved your podcast or your TED, TED talk. You're talking about where entrepreneurship should be taught in schools and should be encouraged because you were kind of just talking about in that briefly, the sense of that, you know, society often celebrates to be lawyers and doctors or scientists, but seldom are you explore kind of, you know, celebrated to be a business person. Like, well, often, nowadays, nowadays being an entrepreneur now is actually cool. When I, you know, I did that TED talk 12 years ago and entrepreneurship was just starting to become cool. But when I was growing up, being an entrepreneur, you were vilified. We were, we were these greedy capitalist kids who didn't fit in. But nowadays, most schools have entrepreneurship clubs or courses, you know, because of the rise of the dot-com era, everybody wants to be an entrepreneur or an influencer. I, I just don't think that most people have the skill set or the DNA for it. So yeah, that was a passionate plea around 13 years ago that I think has now started to come true is I think we are recognizing these entrepreneurial kids and we're celebrating them. I think that's already starting to happen now. I heard a statistic that they say that three, only 3% 3 of people are typically hardwired for entrepreneurship, whereas 97% aren't. So I wondered like, and I've heard you like an entrepreneurs or, you know, there's the, the certain quali qualities which they have, like such as ADHD and things like that. Could you talk about those 3% and what you've uncovered of what, like the core of an entrepreneur and the type of person that might be more drawn towards that? Yeah, so the... Well, what's interesting is that only 3% of the population are bipolar as well. So most, <laughs> most, most entrepreneurs are bipolar and have attention deficit disorder. Uh, the, and when, so, you, when, when you talk to bipolar, what, what relevance does that have to be an entrepreneur? Is that more so, moods like bipolar as in they, they like go up Obsessive, and down? Obsessive, is that it? Yeah. So, so the, first, the first mood is that the mania of bipolar, the crazy fun driving energy that is why people follow you it's why they quit their job and come work for you it's why they invest in your company it's why they say hell yeah let's do this that's the mania the stress and depression is simply us course correcting it's us realizing that we have too much on our plate we've mortgaged our house it's not coming true as fast as we like we can't tell the newest employee by the way i just hired you and i'm not quite sure how i'm going to pay you Right. So we're living in this world of like compressed fear. And then all of our friends think we're workaholics, but it just takes a lot of work to get the business going. They don't really understand that. So that's the so bipolar isn't really a disorder. You need the mania so that people will invest and join you and follow you. And, and right. The ADD, and another, and another, another word for mania is like passion, isn't it? It's like a blinding right, passion. That driving, yeah, that driving, fun, passionate energy. The um the, the, the ADD, the attention deficit disorder, is not a disorder for entrepreneurs. When entrepreneurs can see everything around them, when we can see the customer, the market, the economy, the spreadsheet, what's happening with our business, competitors, we, get, we see it all. That's very distracting. But it's good as an entrepreneur to see it all. Otherwise, you don't miss it. But engineers need to be focused and doctors need to be focused and lawyers need to be focused. They're terrible as entrepreneurs because they're so focused. They miss the bigger picture. So that's the first part is I think there's a DNA that makes up a really great entrepreneurial person. The skill set that you need to be an entrepreneur, you need to be a great leader. 
You need to be good at project management. You need to be good at coaching. You need to be good at time management. You need to be good at interviewing. You need to be good at sales. You need to be good at um, prioritization. You need to be good at delegation. You need to be good at coaching. Like there's, there's skills that entrepreneurs need to be good at. And you can learn those. In fact, my Invest in Your Leaders course is largely the entrepreneurial skill sets that people need to be entrepreneurial or to be entrepreneurs or to be good leaders. Pretty cool. Uh, you wrote a book about meetings and many people, you know, the meeting uh, environment has changed hugely. And I know meetings is something that I can often struggle with. What are your top tips for people having meetings to make them more beneficial? You know, often they say a committee, the best committee is typically made up of one three person. people of which two are absent, you know, in terms you know, of making decisions so, and getting things done. And, and I was coaching a CEO. I coached them from 40 employees up to 700 employees. And we were talking when he was about 400 people. And he said, our meetings suck. I said, well, have you ever trained all of your managers on how to run great meetings? He said, no. I said, have you ever trained all your employees on how to attend them, how to show up at meetings, how to get the most out of them? He said, no. I said, well, then meetings don't suck. Your company sucks at running meetings. And I realized that almost every company out there has never trained their employees, their managers on how to run meetings, how to run a Zoom call, how to run an in-person meeting, how to run a classroom session. And they've never trained the people showing up how to get the most out of them. So meeting suck is the basics on how to do all that stuff, right? Every meeting has to start on time. Just start. Don't, don't wait and don't get, catch up with the people later. Every meeting should stop five minutes prior to the scheduled ending time. So if you're on from 12 o'clock to one o'clock, you should stop at 12.55, which gives everybody time to walk down the hall, talk to their assistant, get a cup of coffee and start the next meeting exactly on time. I always book meetings for half the time that I first think about booking them for. So if I'm like, hey, let's get together for an hour, I'll book it for 30 minutes because by compressing time, right? Parkinson's law says work expands to build the space that we give it. If I book it in less time, we'll get it done because we'll control all the idle chatter. You need to have a part, you know, a, a, a moderator, a timekeeper, a parking lot, the, the basic systems. And they're all in the book meeting suck. I also have one of the modules of the Invest in Your Leaders course is running effective meetings as well. It's one of the 12 modules. Sounds brilliant. The one thing my our younger brother had the idea of, uh, well, why don't we start doing plank for all meetings? And I thought that was a really great idea because then meetings would be very short and they'd cut very yeah. much to the choice. Have you ever heard of people putting that into practice or similar type things? I've, I've heard of people. Well, so our daily huddles are a seven minute all company stand up meeting. And one of my clients in the UK called me one time and he said, our daily huddles taking too long. I said, well, describe it to me. He goes, well, we all get into the boardroom and we sit down and we pour tea. And I'm like, dude, what the fuck? Like a daily huddle is a stand up. It's seven minutes. You don't sit and pour tea. Of course, it's going to take 20 minutes. You're having tea. You're not having a meeting. That's gas. I like that. I like that. Very cool. Well, thanks so much for your time, Cameron. You're brilliant. You really are. It makes me want to go start writing vivid visions and go out and spend time in nature and start getting stuck into it. Well, I think converting a vivid vision into the goals. I think that's because right, I, I I'd kind of missed, I'd kind of written vi vivid visions before, but then didn't realize you had to kind of work out the steps to get you there. Like I didn't. That yeah, was you need to find, find the one or two projects to make every sentence come true. And then stack the projects in, the, in the, the order that will give you the most leverage and the most kind of growth off of those core projects. And that's the easiest way to make it come true. So pick one or two projects within your vision, focus on them and write goals to achieve those projects. And then do the next two and then do the next two and then do the next two. And over the next three years, every sentence will start to come true. Beautiful. Very good. Jeez, you're great. Really are. So uh, for anyone listening, Cameron, how can they find out more? Obviously, there's the leadership course. Yeah, so there's the investinyourleaders.com. 
The Cameron Herald website is just CameronHerald.com. The COO Alliance, same thing. And then all five of my books are available on Amazon, Audible, and iTunes. Jeez, very clear. I like it. Well, chili, enjoy chili. Espero que te disfrutes todo. Y... Den, 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 playing with the polar bears. That sounds like great fun. Hope you have a no, wonderful polar, time. Polar bears. Polar oh, bears penguins. Are, are penguins. Penguins down the Antarctic. What, what type of penguins? Are they? They're called the emperor penguins, aren't they? Emperor penguins are down there. Yeah, and there's a few others. I think there's like 12 or 13 different types, but the emperor penguins are the big ones down there. And it's sunny now where you are, so it's actually hot in Santiago. Yeah, it's going to be warm. Antarctica is only going to be at um, zero degrees, so like perfect Celsius. It's be great. Wow. And is it a, like Antarctica, like how I always understood it was like, it's just a, a massive wall of ice. Has that like, you know, has that changed since global warming or whatever? Have you heard? I, no. I, I haven't been yet. So I'll, I'll let you know. I'm sure, well, in the research. Ice, I'm sure there'll be a lot of ice there, but I'll report back and let you know what we see. Amazing. Thanks, Cameron. Thank you so much for taking the time. You're brilliant. You really, yeah, really are. Really. And enjoy all your adventures. And we look forward to someday, hopefully meeting you. Stephen, David, thank you guys. Appreciate it. Yeah. Cheers, Cameron. You're a star. Yeah. Mind yourself. Yeah. Have a great time in Chile. I loved that. I really did. I found, I got loads out of that. I hope you did too. But personally, I'm going home to write a vivid vision for the business <laughs> and for my personal life. And Dave's been writing vivid visions for quite some time, but forgot that little piece in the middle where you kind of write down a strategy, how you're going to get there. I thought it was more like a Santi letter or Shawnee said, <laughs> you kind of write your, your kind of vivid vision and just leave it in the fireplace on the fire and kind of go, do, do, do. When's it going to show up? <laughs> No, I didn't realize you. Uh, anyway, I thought that was really useful. I hope you found it as useful too. I think goal setting and a sense of visioning. Some people can find it hard, but I think there's a nugget in relevant to everyone. That sense of we all there are certain things that we want to achieve, and often we can struggle to you know put down the the process with which we're going to get there. I find the entrepreneurship very interesting as well. Yeah, I don't know I if you did. topic, but yeah, hope you hope you hope you got something out of this. And if you made it this long, thank you. We are most grateful. Big shout out to Shawnee Cahill and to Sarah Fawcett for producing this podcast. Oh, and if you do like our podcast, please give it a five star review on Apple or wherever you uh, listen to your podcast. And if you didn't like it, no one likes a moaner. Oh, you like that one, don't you? <laughs> and, and if you're still here, um, our new book is just out. It's called The Veg Box. It's available for pre-order on Amazon. It's our sixth book. It's all about, we've got to pick the 10 most widely used vegetables. We've done them 10 ways using 10 ingredients. We've really pushed these veg their limits to really, food waste accounts for 30% of all waste. And probably in your home, you can relate to too, that you've got wonky carrots and whatnot, I'm wondering what to do with them. We give you 10 ways, as in 10 carrots, there's carrot cupcakes and carrot muffins and carrot granola and carrot soup and it's a really good book yeah really really I love it we're really proud of it and I think it's super useful Uh, but you can check out details anyway um, on Amazon it's called The Veg Box yeah so thanks for listening wishing you a great day bye 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 bye